1: Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I do appreciate you. And uh, as always, I appreciate the emails and messages and all the good things you send my way. So please keep it up. Uh, Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. All right. So what I wanted to do today was just start off with a quick go back on the last episode of Winterization so as you probably know, you know, it was a very high-level, relatively brief overview of winterization. It's not intended to be all inclusive. It was really intended to be more in-depth and you know about six months ago. So we're gonna cover this again in the fall. Okay. We're gonna do a I'm actually gonna put together a kind of a winterization video. We'll go through a couple of different configurations. I'll show you a few things that might work where you are depending on the weather. As always, if you're concerned, you don't have anybody local to you, you're not sure what to do, shoot me an email and say, hey, you know, I live here in Washington State, Nebraska, Texas, whatever. And I'll try to see if I can give you some guidance or, or maybe even connect you up with somebody in that area who um, might be able to provide you with some information that would help you out. Another thing I wanted to mention, too, I mean, obviously, we, we kind of beat it to death about how important it is to keep the bees dry. One thing I didn't really spend a lot of time on, I just wanted to mention real quick, and I know we've covered it in other episodes, at least at a high level, the importance of treating for Varroa mites, right? Because Varroa, it's it's all over the place, right? You're not going to get away from it. And like I've mentioned in the past, there are some, you know, queen breeders who claim to have Varroa-resistant queens. I'm not questioning them, not doubting them. Uh, it's They may very well for the price they were asking for. I, I would certainly hope they did that and a few other things. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because I've heard several people m- make comments around, well, I really want to have an organic you know, beekeeping business, or I want my colonies to be organic and free from pesticides and all those things. So there's a lot of things to talk about with that. I mean, there are so many things in our environment right now that are just catastrophic for the bees. I mean, it's. I'm surprised we have any, of, any left at all at this point. But the idea that your bees are going to be better off if you don't treat them is a statement that really sets you up for failure, okay? Varroa mites are very destructive and disruptive to a colony, but the kind of key takeaway here is if your colonies are not being treated for varroa, they will likely get sick. They will likely die. Honeybees in the wild, if they are getting varroa, they are dying. Uh, There's a combination of factors here, but if you have bees that have varroa, they are already weakened. They're already going to have a diminished immunoresponse, and they're going to be susceptible to other types of illness. We're going to dig deeper in this one in the spring, because I, I know I talked about pests early on in pest management, but it was more of a very high level like, hey, watch out for wax moth, hive beetle, varroa mites. And we talked about them. This spring, we're going to have an episode where we're talking about specifically what you need to do and how you need to do it to make sure you're able to treat your colonies this spring. But I'm telling you, you just, you can't ignore varroa. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, so we have a special guest on today, as I mentioned in the last podcast. So when it comes to harvesting honey, I think anyone who has been beekeeping for more than a year or two or at least long enough to know what it's like when they try to extract honey, you know what a laborious process this is. I mean, from getting the bees off the frames, right? Like, so I use an escape board. You know, it's kind of like the, the reverse of the roach motel, right? You put the escape board in. The bees can check out, but they can't check back in. It's the same kind of concept with these boards. You put them in. The bees will leave the honey supers and they'll move back down into the brood chambers. That's part of the process we got to go through just to get them off the frames. Then we have to take those frames, find an appropriate place to work, decap them, put them into the extractor, spin them in the extractor, filtering, bottling, and you you guys kind of know the routine if you've done this before. Now, our guest may not have a solution to keeping your significant other happy for the mess you made in the kitchen or for the best containers to store your honey in, but... He does know all about extracting that honey in the simplest, cleanest, most efficient way possible. Ladies and gentlemen, Cedar Anderson, co-founder of Flow Hive. Cedar, good afternoon. How are you today, sir?
2: I'm great. Great. Thank you for having me on your show. It's a, uh, a rainy, wet day here in uh, Australia, and uh, hopefully that will kick off the flowers and get some more forage for our bees who are a little bit hungry at the moment. Ah, uh, There you go. You know, In fact, I was just down at the
1: apiary the other day in uh, early January, and uh, I, I, it was a 50, 60-degree day, and the bees were flying and bringing back pollen. So it was pretty exciting. So I hope you have some of that same good fortune on your end as well.
2: There's a little bit starting to come in, so that's exciting. And hopefully, hopefully yeah, the, the paper bark will kick in, which it sometimes does uh, towards the, the later part of the year and, and into our winter. We're upside down compared to you guys.
1: Yep, yep. Okay, yeah. Well, Alex, like I said, I know we've been working for quite some time to get our calendars into alignment, so I'm glad we were finally able to get together. And, you know, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you could, just for the listeners here, just take a couple of minutes, as long as you need, and just, uh, you know, if you can give us an introduction, and, uh, you know, let us know how you got into beekeeping, how long you've been doing it, and just kind of uh, let us know who you are.
2: So beekeeping, for me, has just always been a family tradition. So we kept hives when we were young, and we also enjoyed going to my grandfather's place uh, out, out on a, a farm and he had this extracting system where we would pedal the pedal the bicycle and the, the chain would turn the, the, the cog which then linked up to the centrifuge and it would spin all the honey out and that was an exciting thing because we didn't have such a neat extractor at home. <laughs> so this pedal powered extractor would, would spin all of the yellow box honey out and Every time I taste that yellow box, I've just drawn straight back to the smell of, of extracting honey on my grandfather's farm as a kid. So beekeeping, I guess, um, it wasn't at a commercial scale. It was more as a, a backyard hobby um, through our family. And my uncles keep bees, my brothers keep bees, and now my sisters keep bees and cousins and so on. So it's just something we always did. And it wasn't until my early twenties that I started getting bees on a small commercial scale. So I got 40 hives and I was harvesting the honey in the conventional way and selling that honey to the, to the local shop. And it was that process as you just described. And I guess through that, uh, became the inspiration for the flow hive.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's a great story. You know, as you were talking through that uh, with the bicycle, I had this vision of of my grandparents and some of the people I've known in my life who were very crafty. And I can, I had this vision of, you know, my granddad sitting down and trying to put together something like that or, uh, or my father-in-law is the same way. Right. So uh, that's a great story. Well, you know, if you could, can you give us kind of a, uh, you know, a brief overview of, of the product, the pieces, kind of how everything works and, and, what kind of makes it what it is?
2: Yeah, so the idea with the flow hive was, well, hang on a minute, can't we just get honey straight out of the hive without having to go through that long process of, of extraction? And the idea was also how we could do it in a way where we didn't have to disturb the bees so much. I mean, from my personal experience, it was a lot of work for me. It was almost a crime, it felt, to sell The bucket of honey to the local store. After all of that work, it just felt. Hang on, I'm selling that and getting a little bit of money for it, but it just wasn't adding up to the amount of effort I was putting in, and the bees were clearly grumpy about the process as well. And I thought there has to be better way to do this. So after uh, that initial thought, then it was a a long kind of uh, invention journey, and my father joined in of making a prototype and putting it in the hive and seeing whether the bees would like it and sometimes you'd get you know three months down the track and the bees didn't like it so it was it was a a scrap that one and get on to the new one and getting on you know finding the point where the bees were happy with what we had made and it was actually useful uh took a decade but that was a lot of fun and we just kept trying when we kept failing we would keep trying and getting that uh, the first jar of honey to flow directly out of the hive was a uh, was a miracle. Really, we we're sitting there just watching it, going, <laughs> "Wow, we've done it! After all this time, we've done it. This is incredible." So the way the the mechanism works is we give them a partially formed honeycomb matrix, and then they build onto that. And there's enough gaps in there so the bees can't catch their knees or wings in the mechanism. And the bees complete the comb by by waxing up all, all the the gaps in the comb. And then they typically draw the, the comb out a bit further. And they fill all of that with their nectar, seawater it like they do with any honeycomb cell to create their honey. So then what you've got is our flow frames in your hive, all full with honey and capped and ready to go. You come up to the hive with, with what looks like a really long allen key and insert that into the hive and turn it then what happens is channels form inside the comb so if you like the hexagon pattern changes into zigzagging channels and that allows the honey to flow down into the trough at the bottom and out into your jar and typically it needs no further processing because the, all the wax has stayed in the hive and just the honey's flowed out so you can literally just uh, jar that up and and put it on, put a label on it or put it on yourself. So luckily uh, it worked actually better than we originally intended in terms of you really get most of the honey comes out with with very little effort and it's brought about this kind of different experience of being able to sit there and enjoy honey flowing right out of your hive and into your jar and it's something that... that um, I never get sick of and people never get sick of just watching this magic. And the only thing that's got the honey out of the hive is gravity as it just flows down and out. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been full of surprises, really, because with that also comes this ability to harvest the honey just frame by frame and really separate the flavors and be able to enjoy the different flavors that come in and you might have a dark honey, a light honey, a really floral honey, a a, a butterscotch a tasting honey, and it kind of uh, just mixes up in your hive in terms of one frame will be this, one frame will be that, and you get to isolate those flavors directly to your your jars. So, so a lot of people are really enjoying that whole process.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I think back again to the first time that I was extracting honey and this was definitely not an option. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of people and you can certainly, you know, correct me where I'm wrong or, or tell me if you've seen something different uh, in Australia. But here I have seen so many beekeepers, they kind of get into it originally for, for a variety of reasons. You know, sometimes it's all oh, I want honey. And other times it's, Hey, I want to do my part for the environment. And I feel like there's a lot more people who are kind of going, you know, for that, that's their, their big driving force nowadays. But I know several people who have gotten into beekeeping and they really were hoping that to have, you know, a lot of honey to share with friends, maybe start a business. And it was the honey extraction part of things that made them say, no, I'm not going to do it. And I think you hit the nail on the head with how disruptive it is. I mean, this is the life's work of these bees. I mean, that's, you know, they're preparing for the winter in March and April here, right? Of course you guys are inverse on the, on the uh, uh, Southern hemisphere there, but you know, for us, I mean, you know, in March, April, May, they're gathering everything they're going to be using to live on for the rest of the year. And we're just stealing it away from them. And like you said, it's so disruptive. So um, that in and of itself is great. Now, the the components and the pieces, because I always think about things like, um, you know, pests, for example, here in, in uh, Virginia and in, in the south, uh, we have to deal with small hive beetle. And you have um, other potential things, disease or things that might get into the hive that could be um, detrimental overall to the health of the hive. So I guess my, my two part question there, one of them is how serviceable is everything? I mean, do all the parts and pieces kind of come apart for you know easy cleaning, maintenance, things like that? And then do you have sort of a best practices recommendation around, you know, things like, for example, at the end of every season, we recommend you do the following things or, you know, just some general kind of maintenance ideas for things. And I know there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, oh, you shouldn't use something like that because you don't have access to the hive to do a complete inspection. I already know that that, that statement's going to come up.
2: Yeah, so of course beekeeping is the same as it always has been in the, in the brew box, right? So you go about your beekeeping as normal. So if you like to do it with a screen bottom board, then you can do it with a screen bottom board. If you like to uh, um, do it with a solid bottom board, you can do that too. It's just really up to you how you want to keep your bees. And your routine inspections and how you manage them are going to be pretty similar, whether you're using flow frames in your hive or whether you're using a conventional honey super. So really, it's, um, you know, you've got to take the top box off and get in your bee suit, get out smoker and do your, your brood inspections and, and where you are, you're also going to be managing those uh, pesky varroa mites. Lucky we don't have them here in Australia. But, uh yeah, and when it comes to hive beetle, uh we've actually built in some extra things into our hive to help with that because we do have the small hive beetle uh, in Australia, and there's lots of them getting about. So, we do have the screen bottom board with a pest management tray that can help to, to trap those beetles. And as well, the flow frames can't actually get damaged by them. Whereas, if you've got conventional frames, then if you have a slime out, then you've just got to cut it all out and, you know, clean it all up as best you can and so on. The flow frames, um, yes, the small hive beetle can get in there and lay, but they're kind of quarantined because of the, the cell walls they can't traverse so easily through the comb, so less damage gets done to to the honey stores if you catch it early. But also, uh, they can't actually damage the plastic parts. So, so um, all you need to do at that point would be to clean them up with with a hot hot water and or perhaps a, a pressure washer to, to get them all clean. And when they're dry, you can put them back on again. Now. We have, you know, a bit of a, a different different climate down here um, where we are. So we don't have to go through the packing down for winter or the overwintering. In fact, some of our best honey flows uh, are in the wintertime. So if you're where we are, or perhaps in the more southern parts of the States, then you can leave your honey super on all year round. So if the, the flow super stays on your hive and the bees are best to look after it and they do a great job of looking after the flow frames year after year and the only real maintenance you need to do is perhaps cleaning out the trough area from time to time if uh, it gets a bit gunky sometimes uh, uh, some build up uh, of, of honey will be in there if the bees like bees will be bees and block up everything and they'll block up our little leak back point which allows any honey in the trough to go back to the bees that's locked up then the honey can build up and sometimes you get fermented or candied honey in there but that's just cleaning it out with a with a wet cloth on the end of your flow key. So maintenance is very, very small as far as the flow frames are concerned. However, if you've taken the box off and you've left it around covered in honey then then uh you know, fermentation could occur, wax moth could get into it and you might need to give that a good good wash with a pressure washer or something like that let them dry and put them back on for the springtime. Some people manage to uh, take their box off and if it's got some honey stores into it, but they do want to reduce the size of their hive for for a long snowy winter, then they might uh, keep that in in a cold area or in a freezer so that um, that honey will be good to put back on in the springtime. So there's all sorts of strategies there. But generally, the flow frames, as far as they go, Pretty low maintenance. If you come to the point where you do want to take them apart, you can take them apart. And there's videos showing people how to do that, but it is a bit tedious. as these wires you take off, and then the whole thing's in.
3: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant
2: And um, then you've got to flick them all back together like Lego again. So, yes, you can take them apart if you need to, but generally people don't. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Hey, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back. All right, everyone. Welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. For people who've never seen Flow Hive and have no idea what we're talking about, which I'm hoping that, that they're, they're just a Google search away and they can take a quick look. But for someone who hasn't actually seen any of the Flow Hive components, you know, I think that we we get a mindset or kind of a we visualize what a hive looks like. So like you mentioned before, we're going to have our bottom boards, we're going to have maybe one or, or multiple deeps. Maybe a queen excluder if you're using them, maybe not. And then our honey supers. So with Flow Hive, I mean, we're we're going to keep our traditional equipment, you know, for our brood frames and our brood chambers. But is it the honey super that we're using today, and we're adding Flow Hive frames to it, or are we using a Flow Hive super with Flow Hive frames, and it's a completely integrated, um, you know, a honey super uh, in and of itself?
2: So you can go either way. We originally thought. That people would most like just the frames, and we put out videos showing how to cut uh, the apertures into your own woodenware in order to put some frames in it. But we were mistaken when we first started, and what people really wanted is a complete solution. So, what we have, and it's definitely far, you know, the most popular, is the complete flow hive, uh, complete with a whole lot of extra things that make it easier to keep your bees, like adjustable legs on a, on a hive stand. And even little levels built in to show you when your hive's level. Then you've got your your brood box. Uh, we we supply the frames, and you then put your own foundation in if you want foundation, or we, or we we supply a a wooden strip that goes in the top if you want to do naturally drawn combs in in the brood chamber. And then you've got your flow honey super on top of that, um, an inner cover, and a gabled roof we got observation windows on either side and one at the rear as well, which is actually fascinating to look in and see how the bees are going, whether they're bringing in nectar or whether, whether they're not. We also supply, if people want our frames plus the super to go around it, then you can buy that as well and just put it on your conventional hive. Flow frames are slightly wider. So we did that because when bees are building comb away from the brood nest, and I did a lot of measuring honeycomb, then they tend to build their cells deeper. And so we've, we've gone along with that and made our flow frames deeper. So the reason why I'm saying that is for a eight frame Langstroth box, that, that suits six flow frames. And for a ten frame Langstroth box, that suits ten, uh, seven flow frames. So, We've got options there to to uh to go along with the two common sizes. And then you can also just put in three or four into a box if you want to do what we call a hybrid and just experiment with a little bit of honey on tap in the middle and conventional frames either side. So we've got options there for people to just try it if they like or if they want to jump in and and get get everything we offer, then they can then get, get our flow hive and we've got a few different sizes. In the colder regions, people prefer the larger ones and everywhere else they seem to prefer the, uh, what we call the flow hive Tick, which is, uh, a eight frame length of size just because it's a bit lighter to lift off the honey super. And, uh, yeah, so options depending on, on where you want to start.
1: Okay. Yeah. And that's great because, you know, there's so many people, especially when you're, when you're new and that's really the target audience that that we're trying to reach here with the podcast is getting people who have no experience whatsoever. And I think having a turnkey approach like this, where you literally have everything in, in one box or in one, in one solution, if you will, I mean, this, this truly is an integrated honey harvesting solution, Uh, and, uh, I think having that as an option is great. And, and, you know, it might be cost prohibitive for some people. I've heard people say before, I've looked at it, but it's too expensive. And, and my response I've said to them is I said, well, I don't own flow hive myself, which I'm going to have to, now that we've been talking, I'm going to have to at least have a couple of them around here so I can play around with them myself. But I've said, Hey, look, Go out and price your extracting equipment. Go out and price those, those systems, especially don't, don't even think about a manual one that you're cranking by your hand unless you've got a bicycle you can hook up to it. But if you're going to go buy an extractor and everything you need to extract that with a electric extractor and everything else that's involved, it's absolutely going to be more expensive. So I think when you look at the total cost of ownership, and and the you know the real barrier of entry is to look at it holistically. You have to look at it as a full solution and not just one piece.
2: There's another little part to that as well, and that people tend to keep less hive boxes or less supers on their hives instead of stacking hives so that they can harvest everything in the fall. And you know, in in some parts of the world, they're going six, seven, eight boxes high. You can run your hive a lot smaller and then just harvest throughout the season. You see it's full, you harvest. You see it's full, it's harvest. And that way you're keeping honey in jars on the shelf instead of in boxes in the apiary. And if you think about all the maintenance and time in making all of those extra boxes, or buying all of those extra boxes, then there's there's a factor to consider there as well.
1: Absolutely, without a doubt. Now, you had mentioned uh, uh, earlier that, I think when we were talking earlier that you had a, uh, some online beekeeping courses that you offer. Um, I'm guessing maybe those are through your website. Could you talk about that a little bit?
2: So we started actually a whole new website called thebeekeeper.org. And the reason why we did that is we wanted it to be more than flow hives. So in that course you learn about Langstroth hives as well. And we've got beekeepers, expert beekeepers, scientists, and all sorts contributing to an online bee course. So it's a collaboration with people all over the world. And we did that because we recognized that there's a lot of new beekeepers. Uh, just with the Flow Hive, we've inspired lots and lots of new beekeepers. They're up to about 100,000 or so now, and about half of those are brand new to beekeeping and half are existing. So it was really clear, even though we were making a lot of online content and doing a lot of live streams, Answering questions and so on. So people really wanted a a course that they could sink their teeth into and do a lot of learning. And rather than us just teach the course, because we're not experts all over the world, then what we did is we collaborated with beekeepers from all over the world about the, you know, beekeeping in cold climates, for instance. We're not an expert in that. So there's some great material there from beekeepers in cold climates. And we're also not expert in mites, So we've got uh, people that are contributing to the beekeeper.org. And the other thing we wanted to do was raise some funds. So let's say a, a 50% of profits donated uh, bee course. And the funds all go to helping the bees through, through habitat regeneration and protection, which is the, the main issue we face in the world as far as the bees Uh, uh, concern and also advocacy for bees and we're really really excited at the moment because uh, we've been going a year and a half or so now and we've raised enough funds to plant a million trees so this year we're going to be planting a million trees just from funds raised from our online bee course at the beekeeper.org wow
1: that's exciting that's great very very cool well, so listen, uh, you know, I wanted to mention something and, and I had actually reached out to someone at Flow Hive. Uh, I feel like it was maybe five years ago, ballpark, uh, maybe a little bit less, but I was watching a YouTube video and they were using your marketing content. I mean, it, it said, you know, it had, it was probably a two and a half minute video and it said, Hey, here's Flow Hive and this is what it does. And and I thought, well, geez, I really should check this out and, and learn some more about this. And I checked out the link, and the link did not link to FlowHive. So I copied the link, and I looked, pulled it up in a separate browser on an offline computer so I didn't contaminate my, my system with whatever was wherever it was redirecting me. And that link actually redirected me to some credit card harvesting company or some kind of a um, counterfeit you know, maybe a, somebody who's violating some trademark issues and have stolen your intellectual property. Um, so I, I notified Flowhive, I notified YouTube that somebody was trying to do this. I'm sure you've probably seen quite a bit of this. So what, what can we tell the listeners uh, or where can we point them to, to guide them to, you know, getting genuine Flowhive products, making sure they're not getting a counterfeit, something that wouldn't be supported or wouldn't be made of the same quality materials and everything.
2: Uh, great question. Well done for for noticing. So basically, if you go to honeyflow.com, then that's how you get to the red the, the our product, right? And it will redirect you only to the .com.au if you're in Australia or the EU if you're in in Europe. Now we've done that because um, we've got warehouses all around the world, so that we can get quick shipping. Whether you're in the states or whether you're in Europe or or wherever you are, there's a warehouse uh, close enough by that that it should come within a couple of days. And and um, so that's the way we work. So if you go to honeyflow.com, then uh, then you're safe. It'll only redirect to the uh, to one of our websites. Now it's been a bit of a thorn, as you can imagine from in the beginning, where we had such great success that of course we attracted the uh the the copycats and the scammers and everything, and it's actually somebody's full time job in our office and our firm we employ to to actually play whack-a-mole, if you like, and keep knocking down the scams and and all sorts of things that are going on. So we do our best to keep them to a minimum, but um, we definitely attract a lot of attention and that's also attracted a lot of scammers. So as you said, there's those credit card scamming ones that come up and that's, that's a typical one that happens where... They will steal our videos uh, you know and videos of my kids you know playing with the uh, blowhives and all sorts of things and and then it takes you through to a credit card harvesting page right and as uh, quick as they can they'll they'll, they'll sell those credit card uh, details and so on so so it's not great and um, you know it's a bit unfortunate we we have to deal with um, people ringing up and saying well hey where's my hive would we say well uh, we can't see your order in the system and, okay. and there's this painful process of, of, um, educating them that they've been involved in the scam and, and, you know, we're really sorry and we'll look after them, uh, as best we can and here's the, here's the real website and so on. Um, and then you also get other scams that are, uh, people that are in it, that are making, uh, uh, copies and we've ordered a bunch of the copies and, you know, we've, we've sat there and, and watched as um, the bees will fill them up and you try to harvest it and the mechanism won't work and, and things like that. So um, those there's, there's copies do exist out there on places like eBay um, or Amazon um, as well where, where uh, there's those there's, there's, there's copies. So you're going to be getting questionable uh, product if it does arrive and also questionable um, service. They might say they've got some kind of warranty, but really, they're just after selling as much of their copy product as they can. So, uh, yeah, please, please watch out for those scams and copycats out there. So, the, the place to go is Honeyflow.com. So, thank you, thank you very much for bringing that to attention, Jeff.
1: Sure. Absolutely. You know, it's running a business is is hard, you know, and I, I, I've owned a small business before. I have a very, very small business now. And, Anytime, I mean, just, just day-to-day operations, just day-to-day things that you have to deal with, with taking care of customers and insurance and people calling to sell you things and all the other things that are going on. And now you have somebody stealing your, your intellectual property. So um, I definitely feel for you and we will keep our eyes open and I'll be sure to keep, you know, as I continue to, to talk to people and, and educate and, uh, you know, interact with folks during my regular B discussions, I'll, I'll keep that reminder out there. So I'm definitely going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a couple, couple of flow hives for myself. I'm going to get them up and running this spring and uh I'll you know I'll post some some videos on YouTube and kind of we can track things and track my my learning and my progress uh as a complete newbie to the uh the flow hive world. So that'll be a fun thing to follow up with and uh and Cedar, you know, if um I know there's going to be some questions. We always have probably a half dozen or more questions on every podcast. If I get some questions that come in on Flow Hive or anything else be related can I, can I twist your arm and get you to maybe come back in for another chat where you can answer some of these questions for us?
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, I love answering questions, and, and I also jump on uh, Facebook every week um, and answer, answer questions live, whatever anybody wants to, to ask, and I'm happy to come back here and, and answer questions for you as well.
1: Awesome. Well, I truly, truly appreciate your time. And again, I'm really glad we were able to get our calendar synced up and um, so you're always welcome here. If you have any new announcements you want to make or uh, any information you want to get out, you, you have a place here. You can always jump in for five or 10 minutes or we can talk longer if you want to. But uh, again, thank you so much. And uh, you know, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon.
2: Thank you very much for having me and best of luck with uh, building up your hives this year. And, and cutting the wood and building your boxes and everything that it entails.
1: Yes, sir. We'll do the best we can. Well, as promised, I did commit to the flow hive team to purchase a couple of colonies and I'm in the process of of working through that with them right now. So as soon as I have them on hand, um, you know, I'll look at everything, figure it all out, make sure I know what's going on. Then I will put together a, a YouTube video and I'll let everybody know that it's out there for you to watch and to take a look at. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of run through everything, show you how it's all set up, and we'll put a couple colonies in there this spring, and we'll just see how it goes. Now, one thing I did want to bring up that Cedar had mentioned, and he, he mentioned a lot of cool things. It was really a, a good uh, good discussion, and, you know, he was uh, he was a fun fun gentleman to speak with, so I really appreciate his time. But he made a comment that I thought was, was kind of interesting when he had said about how with Flow Hive— you can kind of harvest honey. Number one, he mentioned how you can kind of harvest, you know, by frame. So if you think about it, different things are coming into bloom at different times of year, and you know what we typically do in the standard way of extracting honey is we're going to grab all the frames out at one time, we're going to extract all the honey, it all gets mixed together, and you have one type of honey. But with Flow Hive. You may have a single frame that was in there that you knew you put in there right before a particular flower or tree was in bloom. And then, you know, another group of frames were there for something else. You may have completely different types of honey. And that really allows you to sample the individual types of honey that are being collected based on, you know, the time of year and what's in bloom. So I thought that was pretty neat, kind of cool. The other thing that he mentioned that I thought was a really good point is it's not unusual for, you know, larger production colonies to have three, four, five, six honey supers stacked up on them. And then they all get extracted at the same time of year. They'll, they'll pull all of them at once and they do all the extraction. Well, that makes sense, right? Because of all the equipment involved and the gear and getting everything done, you know, you don't want to have to pull those frames and, and mess with that over and over again throughout the season. Well, with flow hive, that's completely eliminated, right? You walk up, you follow the process of, you know, of inserting the key and turning it and then you know, cracking open the spout, basically, and you're getting honey. And then when that honey is gone, the bees can come back in there and refill it again, and as long as there's enough you know, within the rest of the hive for them to survive, then you can come back again in a couple of weeks and you can take more. So you can take the honey as you go versus having to do all of it in bulk at one time. So I think that's, that's pretty neat. So I got one uh, listener email I wanted to address here this week. So a gentleman named Jason, and Jason, I did respond to your message. I think when you filled out the web form, I think you added an extra N maybe to your name. The email bounced back to me, and then I took the N away and tried it. So hopefully you got it. Anyway, Jason brought up a point that I've heard actually several times before. A good friend of mine was in this situation a couple of years ago. And I'm going to kind of tell you the same thing that I told him. Basically, Jason said, look, I've, I've got, I think he said he has two colonies right now. He really only wanted one, and he wants to stay at that level. He doesn't want to split the hives every spring. He doesn't want to grow into a part-time business where he's got 10 or 15 colonies. He just wants to keep his two colonies, and that's it. So his question is, you know, what do I do? How do I keep them small? Well, there's a few things you can do. Now, the one thing that I love is the idea where in the spring, as they're really ramping up, give them more space right that's that's the best thing to do because if you can keep all those bees together that's more workers, more nurse bees, they're able to care for more more brood and you can get a really large thriving colony that will make a ton of honey for you so how do you do that you get a honey super on early you get another one on you put two on at a time sometimes right you just keep giving them space to expand into now you do eventually hit a threshold where they can potentially get, you know, too large to where the queen pheromone will not fully propagate kind of throughout the entire colony, which could result in the colony thinking that maybe something is wrong with the queen. And they could go kind of into supersedure mode. You know, it's one of those things where it can happen, but that wouldn't really be a big concern to me, right? Because one way or another, they're going to take eggs and young eggs and larva, they're going to make a new queen and you're still going to have a colony, right? So what you do need to watch out for though, is if you don't give them enough space, if they feel constrained, they are going to swarm. If you only want to keep that one colony or those two colonies in this example, you need to be regular about your inspections. You need to give them space. If you see queen cells, you need to find your queen, make sure she's there, make sure she's healthy, and then get rid of the queen cells. Now, for me, that's what I love. I love in the spring when I find queen cells. I think I had a colony last year that had 13 or 14 of them in one, one colony, and I split it up and made a bunch of new colonies, which was great. But if you're trying to stay with what you have today, you're going to want to make sure that you destroy those queen cells. Now, how you manage your queens long-term that's kind of a different subject, maybe for another time, but at a high level, typically the year after a queen is born is going to be her most productive. So queens that are born this spring, summer, spring, summer of 23, they'll be their most productive year. I will generally requeen every two to three years. It just kind of depends on the colony and how well they're doing, but definitely no more than three years for me. That's what I like. If you're doing this, just keep in mind that the queen you bought in your packages this year or in your nuke this year is going to be okay for this year and next year, but you're going to want to start thinking about your replacement and how you're going to replace her. And it can be as simple as, um, you know, keeping them a little bit cramped for space, letting them make queen cells in the spring, and then you take those cells and, you know, allow them to hatch a new queen. You could also go online, find a reputable queen breeder, Have them send you a new one in the mail or lots of times bee clubs will work out deals too, where they say, you know, Hey, we've got 40 of these types of Queens. They're going to be here on this date. Let us know if you want one. They're $25, $40, whatever it might be. We will also cover requeening this spring as well. Good subject to talk about. So anyway, to summarize with that, give them lots of space, keep it, you know, make sure they have plenty of room to, to move as they're filling up those, uh, honey supers, give them more, more room, more space, And, uh, that should keep them in check as long as there's no queen cells, AKA swarm cells. Okay. So, uh, upcoming episodes, next episode is going to be on suburban beekeeping. We've had this on the agenda for a long time. That is definitely going to happen. I also want to put together, um, an episode on, you know, preparing and things you need to be doing during the off season to get ready for spring. And, uh, you know, beyond that, we're probably just going to see what comes up. I mean, typically, like I said, I usually get um, several emails per episode. Someone asks a question, and, it, you know, like I said, the suburban beekeeping, that wasn't even my idea. Somebody had emailed me a while back. I want to say it was Josh, but I don't, it's been a long time. So from Michigan, it was a Michigander. But, yeah, I get the ideas from you guys when you message me and say, hey, tell me about this. That's where a lot of my ideas are going to come from. So feel free to hit me up, Jeff, at beekeepingfornewbies.com. And that's all I've got for you this week. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Cedar. I think Float Hive is a pretty cool technology, and I will definitely have more information from you on that in the very near future. And uh, with that, take care of yourself, stay out of trouble, and, uh, you know, be kind to one another and help control the pet population have your pet spayed or neutered. All right, we'll see you next time.